computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by my man Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we are coming off of the tale of two games here where played the Boston Celtics pretty close for most of the game, got blown out and then trolled them a little in the fourth quarter, made them put their starters back in and then uh, played a tight game against Utah, got a little bit of a lead on them and they trolled us and they came back and pushed it to overtime. But the Lakers eventually closed that one out. Uh, We're recording this Monday morning uh, Pacific time. So we do face the jazz one more time. No AD. I do believe uh, some of the the jazz main guys go bear. Conley will probably be back. So this one's probably looking like an L, but it was nice to get that extra win at least. Uh, and we'll dive into the games a little bit deeper here. Just a little kind of recap. But what did you see from these last couple of games other than uh, Jalen Michael Jordan Brown? Yeah, that uh, wing defense has me a little bit worried. And obviously it's not the full Lakers team. Uh, I've over this bigger picture stretch without Braun, without AD, I think the team's fared pretty well. And I, a couple of weeks ago, I was planning out like, all right, this will be a win. That'll be a loss. This one, maybe that's a loss. And we've gained, I think, a, two extra games over what I was expecting. Um, the Brooklyn win, which was helped by some injuries. And then Tyree Irving going out in the game. And then like Katie had just come back from injury. So they were just kind of rudderless. Well, so that one was Where'd you have the next nice, game? Did you have that in the winnable column? The, uh, so, yeah, I had the next game as a winnable game. Charlotte, I had as winnable, but it became much more winnable after the injuries um, and then I'm forgetting the other game that we picked. Oh, the Utah game. Mm-hmm. That, like I was not expecting you. So the Lakers have been fortunate with some some guys resting and, and being injured on other teams in terms of the, the schedule looking easier than it did on paper. Um, but I don't know. They're, they're getting through it. Reinforcements are coming soon. We're seeing Macklemore get more and more integrated. He was a big piece of that bench group that came back against the Celtics towards the end of the game. So we got to see him like shoot some twos instead of just like being a spot up guy. Um, we have seen more and more of Drummond and the Drummond experience is really an experience because he'll do some like really amazing things and then some really terrible things in the same play or sandwiched in other plays. I know you had some comments on Twitter and we're seeing some things that like it's just it, the, the highs are high and the lows are low and you see the potential, but then you see the frustration like 10 seconds later. So it's it's certainly an experience. There's like an Andre Drummond song that played in the first quarter against the Jazz. And the first note was a was a drum solo with him getting the steal all the way for a dunk. You know, right in the middle there is him standing at the left like elbow and just watching Jordan Clarkson run from the three point in straight for a layup. And then on the back end, you know, he comes back with another drum solo, as I've called it where he just takes the ball from somebody and takes it all the way down the court and or drum break, you know, shouts to Nick from Locked on Maps for that. I like the drum break for the, you know, but it's yeah, it's actually hilarious to watch him, you know, and, and you finally, you know, open Harrison Fagan's eyes and he's seeing Andre Drummond not put bodies on guys. But all in all, I would still say he, you know, had a pretty decent game, uh, not not really against, but he didn't play against Boston. Right. Um, Correct. But but against the uh, 
against the Jazz, he's had his his best game, I think, as a Laker, like 25 points, 27 points. Um, yeah, 27 points, eight rebounds, three assists. He started off cold with a couple turnovers, was missing some bunnies, but he finished 10 for 15, added seven free throws, a couple steals like you mentioned. And not just like, you know, steals, and then the team walks up in transition or walks up in the half court. These are like coast to coast. He's picking dudes off and then finishing strong on the other end. So those are... That's, you know, a stop plus two free points. So really impactful stuff there. He was a team high plus 18 in that win over Utah. But like you mentioned, in the Boston game, he was unavailable. Marcus Gasol started, played pretty well, was hitting all of his shots. <laughs> Still, like everyone else finished like minus 20 or something like that, um, other than the deep bench guys. But it's good to see that he's still kind of staying ready, staying engaged, Um so I don't. Know, I think we've had a couple strong performances from the different centers, and you just have to keep them. You know, continue to integrate Drummond and keep Mark ready because he's going to be needed at some point in the playoffs. And I, I think right now, more so due to like injury situations than like purposeful, you know, platooning. We've gotten to see him both play, but uh, I, I was I saw that as a pro. I saw the wing defense this past week as something that's still kind of glaring a little bit and, and I, my confidence in Wes Matthews goes up and down uh, but that Jalen Brown what he did against uh, in that Celtics game was a little bit concerning but you know we're past that hopefully the Lakers can put up a fight in tonight's game by the time you're listening to this it may be over and I think if, if the Lakers do win this game it would be the most impressive victory we've seen since LeBron mm-hmm. went out because this is a team with their players playing without a bunch of key injuries. Like they're missing some dudes, but for the most part, this first ranked team in the West has most of its key pieces playing. So this isn't this wouldn't be like beating a a Nets team that like has Katie on like what his first or second game back and missing hard and missing Kyrie. Like this would this would be a really impressive if really impressive victory um, if the Lakers could pull it out tonight. All right, Tim. So other stuff we're going to talk about, we're going to talk more Utah today. We're going to take Utah and Phoenix in the playoff uh, matchup. We're each going to take a side and discuss that later. But we did have, uh, forgive me if I don't have your name up right up now, uh, somebody hit us up during the game asking us during the Boston game uh, whether or not we were happy not to have faced the Celtics in the finals last year. Um, We were on this podcast. We kind of said that in so many words, the wing stopper defense. This is slightly different roster, but still kind of same issues. You know, to me, it's seeing Jalen Brown, who's definitely improved even from last year and the bubble. (laughs) get to his spots not only um beat people with speed but with physicality you know if it's kcp he's gonna outpower them if it's west matthews he's gonna beat them with his foot speed and quickness so does that and i guess i'm trying to make this less about boston more about the two wings hey there's another team in the western conference with two superstar wings tim does this concern you at all just kind of before we touch on the clippers is this kind of a uh potential reason you might be uh more not scared but more worried about a clippers matchup in the playoffs yeah there there are certain teams the lakers match up better against than others and as we're digging into these like you know play this team or that team we're getting to dive into that a little bit deeper i think conceptually the wing scoring piece of it is something that is a concern of mine and when a team only has one scoring wing, that's that's one thing. When they have multiple and you've got to deal with Tatum and Jalen Brown, that's another thing. So even if Wes is doing a great job, he's got one of those guys. 
And then you have the other one that you have to worry about. And so you can put LeBron out there, but LeBron's somebody that the Lakers have been keeping away from difficult matchups this season. And his job has been more that that helper, that center field, that's free safety, like cleaning things up. Do you stick him on those on ball wing creation types of guys? Um, does AD do that? And if AD does that, then you suddenly don't uh, like, are you playing small with him at your five or is, do you have another center out there, but you're playing AD as a wing defender. It's not optimizing him in his best role. Putting LeBron on those guys isn't him in his best role. So like you want to have a Wes Matthews kind of guy that can slot into that job so that the other two dudes can be them, their best versions of themselves and not have to be fighting that battle. Like Wes Matthews, he can exert most of his energy. You talked about uh, the other pod, um, using spending your like energy bar. Familiar with lots of video games where, where that matters, your stamina. And if you're a dude on defense that should that wing stopper gonna go fight and make life as difficult as possible for these scoring wings, offensively, a lot of times those dudes are like stationary shooters or movement yeah. shooters. Like it's a low, like you are being asked to do a ton on one end and not much on the other. And that helps you really exert yourself and, and be the best version of yourself defensively. If AD and LeBron are those guys, that probably takes a little bit away from their offense. And we're seeing right now, we've been seeing for the past month or two, what that can look like when those guys aren't out there or, or aren't their, their best selves. So um, that's just another element of, I think this this big puzzle and the two teams we're going to talk about today don't really have that element to their offenses. But I mean, last year it was the same way. Clippers and Boston, those were the two teams that just like, you know, we have this kind of guy to stop your put. We had a Dwight to stop your post players. We have all these guard defenders to stop your your guard scores. We didn't quite have those dedicated wing stoppers. And this year it's a little bit better. We've got Wes, but it's still for the most part the same kind of situation. So that the, the multiple wing scoring teams are the ones that I would worry a little bit more about. So again, the Clippers, again, Boston, um, I'm trying to think of who else would fit into that category, but that's the type of team. They may not beat LA, but they will give us more difficulty than other teams just because we don't have the right tools in the toolbox or enough of the right tools in the toolbox to be optimized as a defense and playing the way we've seen the team play. Yeah, and we'll get to more of this, like I said, when we get to the Clippers. I think the Lakers have the ability to do a couple of weird things with their lineups. Like um, the other night against the Jazz, they were playing like four guards and Montrezl Harrell. And we've kind of seen before some of these weird lineups where like Kyle Kuzma is the effective shooting guard. So if they wanted to shift Braun and AD out of some situations where they're not the primary, you know, Kawhi, Paul George defenders, you can maybe, you know, cross matchups, switch a little bit and hope Kyle Kuzma or, you know, someone, Wes Matthews, Markeith Morris can become these primary guys to stop them. But it's it's the answer I'm most concerned about in terms of these other, you know, counter adjustments for uh, these playoff matchups the Lakers could uh, could face. But just jumping around a little bit here, Tim, I want to bring up a couple observations. Uh, One last thing in the Celtics game. Uh, I, I'm looking through the matchup data. Guess who defended Jason Tatum? Who had a quieter night than his colleague Jalen Brown? Cal Kuzma? No, that was actually Wes Matthews. McKinney mm. got a, about a minute, um, and then Kuz was the third uh, most used defender on Tatum. For Jalen mm. Brown, it was KCP. It was THT. Those were the the top guys that he was going up against and putting points up against. Way too so, small. 
I think that's that just emphasis like and we saw like Tatum like he had an okay game but Brown was the one who really went off and even if we do believe in Wes as that wing stopper he's only able to you know defend one guy at a time so that that I just wanted to go check the the matchup data from NBA.com um thought I'd throw that out there sorry sorry to interrupt no no that's that's all good I was gonna say just go to some random observations Tim uh we've been talking a little bit about Andre Drummond uh his pick and roll coverages what those have looked like it hasn't been I'll say it hasn't been amazing on the catch edges. He's definitely Mm -hmm. slow in like that peel back to his man where you see Trez is really good, actually, and and better than I think both of us anticipated with uh, with his intensity at kind of peeling back to his guy. But there was Mm -hmm. a kind of side pick and roll there, uh, I think, in the third quarter where uh, I think it's Clarkson Clarkson and Ilyasova. I believe, but I could be mistaken. It was a, it was a pop, right? So they side pick and roll. The the picker pops. Uh, you know, Andre Drummond kind of steps in front to. He's he's there to contain for a second yeah. until that guard gets back. Yeah. And since that guy popped, you know, Drummond can't just like step over and tag and and get back to his guy. So what they mm-hmm. did was they send the the two guys from the weak side. They shift them one person up, so the guy in the corner is open, and then Drummond would peel off. And he he sprinted into it, which is one of the things that I like to see. And that's kind of the buy in that I expect from a Frank Bogle defense. Now, if you're going to be on the court, you got to sprint into rotations. And the uh, I think they got a crazy like Royce O'Neal three at the you know end of the shot clock. That was a prayer. But 24 seconds of good defense, uh, got the ball out of Clarkson's hand and not uh, attacking position. Didn't they couldn't get the shot from the pop from Ilyasova. So it was just a really creative way of like to me. That's like this is how Frank knows how to use his tools in his tool bag, you know? Yeah. And that was a lot of times when we're like, oh, man, I wish the Lakers did this. People will be like, oh, well, you don't want to you don't want to let the other team see what you're going to do. You, you have to hide all your secrets. And usually it's about like really simple stuff like switching or like really like stuff that you don't need to hide. This was creative. This I thought was really neat because this was like this is straight out of if, if, if you're at your computer right now, go open up a tab and Google the swarm defense by Wayne Walters. It's a, mm. he was a, I think Dickinson college in Pennsylvania, like a D two school, super creative man to man. Well, not, it's sort of a man to man defense um, at like the lower level college level where anytime a ball screen would be run, the next defender would go take that. And then everybody else would just kind of rotate like clockwise behind it or counterclockwise behind it. This was kind of like that, um, where you just kind of like, you know, the next man's going to come over and then the the next perimeter player is going to bounce up. And then you as the big man, instead of having to recover uh, in a harder way, you can just go peel out to that weak side corner. Um, so I don't know. It's it's some unique stuff. I thought it was pretty creative. I uh, would imagine that now that teams have it on tape, they could be more prepared for it or it might just be something that chews up some practice time. But that's the kind of creativity and, uh, you know, acumen on the defensive end of the court that I really appreciate seeing from this this staff. And like mm-hmm. there are a bunch of creative things you can do on offense and the Lakers are more vanilla there. But defensively, which is an area a lot of people think is pretty vanilla, the Lakers are being more creative. And that's really cool. Um, so that, that was neat to see. I think it shows us that the team is thinking in more nuanced terms about like all right like 
how can we best optimize Dre? How can we, you know, defend pick and pops differently from pick and rolls? And all of those sorts of things are the right questions. And that just shows us that this team is just so prepared defensively. And that's part of why they've been so good without LeBron and without AD, because everybody's on the same page. They're game planning very, very well. They're executing very, very well. And this is just an extension of that. So I'm pleased. I think like you said, the, the catch edges themselves have been like, they've been okay. Um, they're not excellent. They're not as bad as is what I saw on film a couple years ago. And shame on me for using like three-year-old data and film on uh, Andre Drummond showing hard and recovering or running catch hedges to say that he couldn't do it anymore. Um, so I'll take my L there. I think he's much better than I was anticipating. But we're still seeing the team use some of these workarounds to to maybe, you know, finagle how exactly he fits into the defensive scheme. But I am certainly more impressed with his defense than I was anticipating from like a ball screen mobility standpoint. Cause there's some things he's, he's shown he could do, but this was one of those question marks and he's really stepped up to the plate and played really well. Yeah. And no, I, th- I love the way you frame that because to me, it's a sign that Vogel didn't and his staff didn't just accept Andre Drummond for the player he is and say, you know, this is all right. Well, we're dropping every time he's in now, like that's the new scheme. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's, like we thought, like I thought, at least I was optimistic they would bring Drummond closer to the system than the other way around. Yeah. And why that's so important is th- the system that they use now is translatable to the playoffs, much more so than the drop scheme that Drummond was running in the past. So if he couldn't adapt and this was our chance to see if he could adapt or not, he's not making it into these playoff rotations. Mm-hmm. He's not out there defending Chris Paul and Devin Booker and and uh, all of these guards that can shoot those pull up jumpers. That's gonna, that's going to be troublesome. Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, like that is where you need to run those catch hedges or, or switch or something. Yeah. You can't be running drop coverage. See, the thing is, I guess we'll get to this on the back half, but I don't know if Andre Drummond is going to play twenty minutes a night in the Utah playoff series in Utah specifically. Mm-hmm. I don't think so either, but I think he's shown enough that. Those 20 minutes will kill you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can't like, it'll be like below average catch hedging, but it's enough that you can put him out there and you can get the, the pros that he brings you with some of the cons mitigated. And I mean, now the other big question is how does he fit in the offense when you've got LeBron and AD out there? If he's able to, if they're able to fit all the pieces together where he's still like facilitating and using his role gravity and all that, that's good. If it just turns into stand in the opposite dunker spot and just finish dump offs and try to get offensive rebounds, you take away most of the benefits that he's been giving the team over this recent stretch of games. And that, I mean, it could work. He's certainly going to get better looks than he did in Cleveland. But if he's underperforming on good looks the same way he did in Cleveland and the same way he's done in the past, that's the where I have angst about playing him over like a Harrell or somebody who can, you know, just finish well. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to throw out a couple of the small things to notice the last couple games. Um, not a huge thing, but Alex Crusoe's passing. Like, again, not really uh, reflected always in the raw numbers and like not in the craziest assist numbers or anything, but just kind of the, the confidence with which he's making the right read, the quickness with the way he's hitting some of the pocket passes. Now, he'll he'll throw a pocket pass that'll get kicked away easily because it was predictable or something. But there's some chemistry there with him and Trez. I don't know. Just something for me to keep my eye on. He's mm-hmm. still pretty struggled uh, badly on the offensive end, but. Still making winning plays overall. Anything? Have you noticed anything about that? Yeah, so it's been something that 
just kind of hit me all at once because we've gone through the stretch where it's guys being asked to do more than they're normally asked to do. So like the expectations were low and I'm not like hyper analyzing THT's pick and roll reads or Caruso's pick and roll reads just because I like I, I don't want to like beat down on a guy who's doing more than he needs to be doing. But both of those players have shown tangible growth when it comes to their playmaking. And I think that's been really important to keep the offense alive somewhat. And just, you know, it's not good that LeBron and AD are injured. But some of the silver lining can be that these other players thrust into larger roles than normal. Caruso, THT, Schroeder a little bit. More Caruso and THT. We've seen the growth and the improvement when it comes to that playmaking in ways that once the team is fully healthy and those guys are slotted back into roles where less is expected of them, we should still reap some of that benefit where like the ball moving is better or like we run our strong side pick and roll and then there's a kick out and then it turns into a secondary pick and roll. And that's where Cruz or THT are able to beat down a defense that's already warped and manipulated more so than them being like the focal point of the offense. So I'll say in the data, we see that growth. And it, it took me like looking at the data now compared to some of the older data to, to notice it. But the quality's up, the versatility's up, the volume mm. of courses up, um, the efficiency's in a good spot. So Caruso and THT, neither of which are you know excellent first tier playmakers or anything like that, but they've certainly shown some growth. And I think this experience, this learning experience, and just I mean them making strides has been really helpful because other guys have been thrown into roles larger than them and haven't mm-hmm. got, like gained that growth like Schroeder's struggled from an efficiency standpoint and actually recently he's limited the turnovers and if he can be that version of himself that's really helpful moving forward but for the most part he struggled in terms of playmaking and in doing so without turning the ball over but those other two guys I think like you mentioned have really taken a step up so I want to uh, give them their flowers yeah, so that was actually my next kind of quick quick hitter question was Schroeder uh, has been a much bigger you know, part of the offense ever since Brown and AD went out. It's been up and down. Um, his assist numbers are up, but as are the turnovers. And it's not just the number of turnovers. It's the kind of turnovers. And he spoke about like just lazy passes, I think is how he put it. So he's cleaned that up quite a bit. And I, I guess... For me, it's the bigger, broader, does this worry you in the playoffs as far as crunch time? We did see him kind of get beat on that game winning slip for or he, oh, a potentially game winning slip from Jordan Clarkson. But mm-hmm. then he came right back down and targeted Ilias over over and over until he fouled out in overtime. So there's some good there. There's some bad there. Is it going to be a mixed bag, you think, going forward? Or do you think that some of this turnover stuff he might, you know, have learned from and uh, this could help him in the playoffs as well? I'd say the the best potential answer is it's going to be somewhere in between. And, and hopefully he's growing a little bit, but it's not going to go from really poor passing efficiency to suddenly excellent without tangible drop-offs in other ways like all right well he's not turning the ball over because he's not attempting skip passes anymore or he's, he's not trying to hit the roll man or that pocket pass that used to be something he'd complete eh, a decent amount of the time now he's not even going for so that's where like we have to monitor and i don't have an answer for this right now but monitor how his behavior has changed is it he's cutting out a specific type of pass or is he just getting better at threading needles um i think that's that's where i'll want to monitor with his game because 
turnovers are bad, <laughs> but when you're thrown into those playmaking roles, turnovers are expected when you are needing to make those more difficult passes. So you have to find the right balance. And uh, that's why just looking at like passing turnover rates isn't the best way to say a guy's good or bad at passing because it's just it comes with the territory. Uh, but certainly for Schroeder, it's been a little bit more than you'd want. So I think he'll hopefully be a little bit better, but I'd say we're probably closer to the large sample of Schroeder than the couple game sample of shooter if we're trying to look forward all right i just uh it was promising you know the jazz were undermanned and you know it was uh, a, a wonky game but he put in some clutch possessions that uh mm -hmm. that changed the game and then the lakers finally put their foot on the gas in overtime and and you know got that 12 point victory i gotta say i had the lakers minus one and a half uh, when I saw Gobert and Conley and all them were out and I was like, oh, what? Did they just basically have to win. And at the end, I was like, are you are you actually kidding me, Lakers? Like <laughs> you actually. OK, no, no, that's neither here. Nor you there, saw coach well. Utah is coached very well. Ersan Ilyasova going like six for eight from three is just come on. He's played eight games for them. It's the it's the weekly, you know, role player who plays like an MVP candidate against the Lakers. Mm -hmm. It's just very tilting. Um, yeah. But let's let's take a quick break and we'll get more into Utah and Phoenix and them as potential matchups and uh, maybe take a discord question later as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back. Tim, Utah, Phoenix. We just saw an undermanned Utah team. That said... Still pretty deadly, right? Utah's offense moves the ball like they're getting good shots. There was one particular like three man game they had on the right wing where they passed from right wing to like right block to right corner. And it's just kind of an example of them getting great shots with just really unselfish, but not overpassing passing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Leno Gobert. Gobert against Drummond. In the playoffs, kind of worries me. Gobert against Gasol, hmm, I'm intrigued. Pick and pop partner, that's a perfect thing way to kill that drop coverage, right? So, yep. is this a case where if we just place the right pieces against Utah, they're you know mortal against us, or do you think that like no matter who the Lakers have on the court, the the Jazz can just shoot themselves into a game or two or three or four? 
I always think that given how they're coached, this team can can give you. I mean, it's going to be a fight. It's not going to be easy. This isn't. You you can't look at Rudy Rudy Gobert and say, ah, oh, well, he's an anchor big. They usually lose value in the playoffs. Therefore, you know, he's going to stink all of a sudden. Like you have to put him in those situations to challenge him. And the Lakers' offense isn't set up from like a pick and roll ball handler standpoint to require Gobert to start catch hedging or showing and recovering or blitzing or anything like that you're not doing that against Alex Crusoe or THT or LeBron James or Dennis Schroeder those are guys that you for the most part you can drop against and like you mentioned when Drummond's out there we'll say Trez is out there even AD to a certain extent certain extent if they're just rolling Gobert's one of the few guys in the league that can like he's so long he's mobile enough in ball screen type situations he can contest your shot if you pull up or he can get back for that lob and they their guards are excellent they'll get a lot of back pressure in those so like they're really good at what they do and you need to just kind of get them out of it um it's going to be a tough matchup i love utah's offense and it's I, i describe it and i think it's been described years ago as um i think quinn snyder called it advantage basketball and i love that term because it's not some like I don't know. A lot of times you'll hear about Utah's offense, like some system that's like mystical and like everybody's running these like football plays where it, it, it's it's simple. It's using Gobert's role gravity, using the three point shooting gravity and using the ball handling that they have on that team and good just ball mover playmaking to put the defense in tough spots, make a defender be wrong and just choose between two options either the lobs there or the pull-up shots there or the kick out threes there and they try to put playmakers in situations where they only have a couple simple reads to make um and it's a lot of three-man game it'll look like two-man game it's a lot of stuff that looks similar and we've seen with the lakers offense when their key guys get out now we're seeing players thrust into roles that they're not used to with utah's offense when their key guys go out they're still running the same place so they're still comfortable. They're still able to do what they're normally doing and what they're practicing to do every day. Um, so it's easier for for that team to, to succeed in that way. In a playoff series, I, I think I'd still – so for the purpose of this argument, I'm and I don't agree with this. I would much rather play Phoenix. But t- today I drew the short straw, <laughs> and I'm going to say I'd rather play Utah. And I'll start with I think the thing anybody would start with, they don't have – those ISO scores. They don't have that superstar. They have some good players. They have a defensive superstar. They don't have an offensive superstar. And but Tim, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is good at basketball, but he's not a superstar. I think he can what? give you stretches of that level of play. I think in the playoffs we've seen him, like when they played Denver against that uh, okay defense last playoffs, he, he was looking really good. Until but, Gary uh, Harris got on his ass. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. We we have a couple guys that can get on his ass with this team. That they, this isn't a team with wing scoring. This isn't. They're not like Gobert's not beating up anybody in the post. He's five for fourteen on the season in the post. This is a team that you worry about the shooting. They have a very legit ball screen offense. They're gonna try to put you in situations where they get those lobs. But I'd go out there and start switching stuff. I'd say, all right, Gobert, you're not getting behind us. You're not catching any lobs. You're gonna go post up. Wes Matthews and show me that you can make hook shots over and over and over again because he hasn't done that all year and yeah. he hasn't been a good post player in the past when we look at their perimeter isolation guys Bogdanovich isn't good at it Jordan Clarkson's been a good ball screen guy he hasn't been a good ISO guy Mike Conley hasn't been a good ISO guy 
like Donovan Mitchell is that one dude that can score pretty well in ISO, but not at elite levels. And if their team goes from this beautiful system, getting open threes and lobs to Donovan Mitchell isolating a bunch, that offense looks way, way less scary than, than it does. And not every team has the switching personnel, but the Lakers, they've got some mobile bigs. They've got some guards that are, can, can be a little bit beefier. This isn't a team with a bunch of wing scoring. So I, like the idea of switching against them, dealing with their built-in switch counters and playing, you know, just good, solid defense and just letting them try to ISO against us. A couple of things. Utah is better than they were last year in the bubble, all of that. No Bogdanovich for them in the bubble. First yep. half, you know, year with Jordan Clarkson. Um, Mark Conley, obviously, much better in his second year with Utah than his first. But I think there's a scenarios where with each guy so with Mike Conley right if you're matching up against him he's the kind of guy we're like I want you to score to beat us you can't I can't let you you know facilitate the offense and get Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles and Bayan Bogdanovich open threes in the corner because they're great from mm -hmm. getting shots in the quarter right great at this and those guys are part of the part of why on top of having that vertical threat right you got a tag to try and get in Gobert's way if otherwise it's like a hundred percent two points first is 40% three points, you know? Right. So, you know, there's a lot of tough decisions it puts on defense, but if you force Mike Conley to be a scorer, you force Jordan Clarkson to be a passer, and then, you know, the other thing, so here are their fundamentals, Tim, just proclaiming the glass, right? They're first in differential, plus 10.8. Take that with what you will. They should have 45 wins per expected they have 42 so they have had some struggles this year and some stretches uh but overall their points per 100 possessions 118.8 uh their defense 108 uh, you know they're all all of their essentials are good except and that drop defense isn't an aggressive screen coverage they don't turn the ball over so mm -hmm. I could see a team like the Lakers matching up like we saw it in that, I think, third quarter when the Lakers took the, the game by the horns, turned them over repeatedly. And yes, this isn't the same team, but it's the same kind of concept. That's the Lakers path to victory. Their defense is better than a good defense in the jazz. Create those turnovers. And if you can find ways to swarm those rotations the way they were in that last matchup, I'm a lot more optimistic about them not like getting blown out in Montrez Harrell versus Derek Favor minutes, even though I still don't love that yeah. matchup. I, I'm just less worried about the, you know, oh, okay, well, we're definitely going to be minus seven every time this six-minute, six you know, stretch, I mean, this second comes by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you have some versatility in terms of what you can do with the big man rotation and in, in that you can play Gasol and have a pick and pop option because Gobert's going to be out there if yeah. you just pair Gasol's minutes with the Gobert minutes and you're just pick and popping them to death and trying to counter that uh that drop coverage I think that's a, a just you know that's an advantage you're creating for your offense for your offense Trez against favors in, in the second unit isn't a disadvantage to me and it could potentially be an advantage. Um, but Derek favors, isn't someone who's like adding a ton offensively. He's, he's just part of the system. He's going to finish his dump offs. He's going to get his roles, but he's not going to be like adding a bunch or killing Trez on the boards um, in ways that other backup bigs for other teams might. Uh, this is a team that they're going to be fighting against the teeth of the Laker defense because they don't get out in transition much. And they have mm -hmm. the 27th ranked uh, transition efficiency from a points per possession standpoint so 
they're not getting free ones. They're not getting easy ones. And like you mentioned, a big part of that is because they don't turn teams over. And that's been a weakness of the Lakers. And it's kind of seemed like LA is going to turn it over no matter who they're playing. But once LeBron and AD are back, once guys are doing their normal jobs, because that's part of it. That's part of it. Once Caruso is doing Caruso's job instead of Dennis Schroeder's job and Dennis Schroeder is doing his job instead of LeBron's job, it's going to look better from a turnover standpoint. So assuming LA can figure themselves out, integrate the pieces, get healthy, I like playing a low turnover team and and that's Utah. So I think there are a lot of different little things that that add up and you can go small, but Utah can't go small. They're going to have to keep Gobert out there. So AD against Gobert, who is a very good help. I mean, he's the best. He's the best help rim protector, but he is just kind of an okay post defender. And we've seen him be beaten up a little bit in some post matchups against other elite post players. So that's somewhere where maybe AD can do some damage or AD as a pick and pop guy, if his threes are falling, that's damaging. Or AD just as a perimeter facilitator, take sit Marcus on the bench, throw AD out there and have him do those delay sets where he's standing at the top of the key and Rudy Gobert has to stand at the free throw line instead of at the rim and then get guys curling off of screens and attacking downhill. That. I mean, THT attacking with no Rudy Gobert is is an advantage for the Lakers or LeBron James curling off a screen. Things like that uh, can be good for the Lakers. Um, Favors is a poor post defender. Uh, I see Trez being able to attack there. Um, I, I just I, I think there are a lot of small areas that the Lakers can can be good. And I think about who does this team have to defend LeBron James? And I think it's really just Royce O'Neal, who's six yeah. four. I think LeBron will bring him down to the post and attack that way. Other than him, they don't really have any wing defense. Like Niang's gonna play his bench minutes, and he's he's an okay defender. Uh, who else do they have? They Ingles. have Bogdanovich, who's a negative. Ingles is a negative, at least this year from an impact standpoint. So, I like LeBron's matchup. Yeah. I like Gasol and AD in five minutes. Yeah. I like AD attacking their fours in the post. I like the Lakers post offense against their defense. So it's the idea of Utah and you can mention, you know, their efficiencies through the roof on offense, on defense, their net ratings great. If you change the situation and you make them be a different team offensively because you're switching and defensively you have the right personnel to take them out of what they're good at, it's not a top seeded team and it's not I think you can argue they're not a top 2 or 3 team in the West. If you make them play that style of basketball, which most teams can't do, which is why they're so good in right now in the regular season. So it's not a gimme. It's still going to be tough. They're still going to make the most out of their players, but I would feel pretty good about that matchup. I don't know how I feel about Andre Drummond in that matchup, but uh, for Gasol and AD as your five man minutes, and then maybe Trez, some of those backup five, AD can play four. Like I, I like, there are enough options that you can try some different things and see what works. So breaking news, Craig just McBasketball calling the Utah jazz frauds uh, headline. <laughs> but I, so there's a couple of things I want to unpack there that I think are important. So right now when fully healthy, the jazz are starting Conley, Mitchell, O'Neal, Bogdanovich and Gobert. So Ingles is coming off the bench normally. So you are you going to guard Anthony Davis with Boyan Bogdanovich? Like center yeah. position be damned. If it's Marcus Off, it's Andre Drummond. If it's Montrez Harrell, 
Are you going to put Rudy Gobert on AD to start the game? Probably not. The way the Lakers offense, as we've seen during the regular season, during the playoffs, very post-centric, right? So they're going to get Anthony Davis on that high post on a lot of occasions. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll probably double. But are you going to double if it's Bogdanovich on him or, or Gobert? Well, probably Bogdanovich. So all these, like, you know what I mean? These, like, it's like a flow chart of... If then, if kinda, you, yeah, if these yeah. guys are defending those players, yeah. do this. If not, do that. Like there is, there's always an answer for the Lakers' offense, given their strengths and given the weaknesses of the Jazz players. And a lot of it lines up in a way where you don't let Utah play Utah Jazz basketball on defense. So I think that's really beneficial. Utah's post defense, including pass outs, 28th ranked in the NBA. Yeah, that's good for us. And so I guess what. In your perfect brain, what's the center rotation look like in a series against the Jazz? Because for me, it's a lot of Gasol uh, and probably a lot of AD and maybe some Trez. But ultimately, Tim, I have to give you Andre Drummond's playing 15 to 20 minutes no matter what. So this is the restrictions uh, you have to operate from. You have 28 minutes at the center position left over, maybe 33 you kill me, Tom. Okay. But you know this is how it goes, right? Utah like- has a very – okay, this is my answer. Utah has a very consistent rotation. They bring certain guys in and out at specific times. Gasol – or I'm sorry, Conley and Gobert's minutes are almost perfectly mirrored. And then hmm. Mitchell, Bogdanovich, and O'Neal's minutes are almost perfectly mirrored, that trio. So they do this thing where they get groupings of players together so they can run the same actions with the same groups. Really smart. I love it. Mm-hmm. They, from a backup five standpoint, Favors is coming in at specific points in time. And I would have Andre Drummond out there defending Derek Favors and then attacking Derek Favors in the post uh, in, in, in those backup big minutes. If I need to play Drummond, that's how I'm playing Drummond. And then with the remainder of my minutes, we'll say if Drummond's getting 15 to 17. So then I have plenty left. I'm going to go. I think you have options. Like you have, there's a bunch no, of you do, you that's, do. You have too you many options. AD that's Harrell. Kind of yeah, you could do AD Harrell and then AD just post up. But then you've got Gobert defending the dunker spot. He's going to come over. So then you're going to need some pin and flare screens. So that's why uh, if we figured out the post help situation, I'm okay with that. If not, if we're, we're not doing well with countering that post help and Gobert's going to be coming in and, and blocking shots and causing problems. Although if he is, then Trez is going to be on the boards. Um, there's a lot of if this, then that. If we don't feel comfortable about that, we can just go AD at the five and play small or go Gasol at the five and play normal. With I, I think a Gasol AD lineup gives, lets you play five out offense. And, you know, go plop Marcus Gasol in one corner and Anthony Davis in the other corner and uh, find out which one Rudy Gobert isn't guarding. And put them in some pick and pops or post offs. Do you think Rudy Gobert can take advantage of Montrez Harrell and his under his lack of size and and kind of ability maybe to keep up on the boards with him? On the boards, yes, I think that is where Trez is going to hurt you. The post defense doesn't matter against Gobert. The he's going to struggle to block lobs thing doesn't matter if you're switching ball screens. And if he's catch hedging, like that's not his job anyway. I wouldn't be catch hedging. Catch hedging against this team stops a lot of their pick and roll ball handler ball handler pull up shots, and they're a very good pull up three point shooting team. Um, 
but it's going to, from the rotations on the back end, they're going to find catch and shoot threes or those, those dunks. If you don't, those lob dunks, if you don't tag Gobert. So I would start with switching and their counters to switching are mostly based on beating bad, poorly executed switches where the two defenders don't come together and make contact and they just kind of slip in between the two guys. Frank Vogel, of all the things he's good at, it's fundamental defense. If this team can execute switches well, that stops enough of those built-in counters that it's like not it's not like the plus plus kind of offense that Utah is usually giving you and I'd feel pretty good about beating him in a series. So I think that's the way I'd approach it in in I'm less worried about Trez in that scenario than potentially against other teams based on the X's and O's. All right. So it's worryometer time. Based on what we've all talked about, I'm sure we'll revisit this again, of course, when and if it before it happens. Worryometer, though, out of 10, Tim, I think because the Lakers, I think, have the right answer. I think Vogel can get there, but he has shown a propensity to be somewhat like half, maybe slow behind, like, you know, like one half of basketball behind doing things when he should could Mm -hmm. cost a game or two if you get behind the eight ball a couple times. So I'm at like a seven, six and a half, seven, I would say, because I think this is a good this is a good team and Lakers. Yes, full strength. Uh, I think, you know, take care of this team, but of the Western teams out there, this is of the handful of teams where I can see them. I can see them playing up to their potential, you know, as a good team playing to their abilities, able to counter. So I I can see it. I mean, I don't think it's going to, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. Help calibrate me. So does seven mean the Lakers are underdogs or it just means among the team. Okay. At what point on the one to 10 scale, is it like a 50 50 for you? To me, it's like an, an eight through 10. Okay. Okay. And to recap from the last pod, we talked Denver without like, Murray and then like a four and a half Portland. for me. Like and they three. were, yeah, they were like threes and fours. Okay. I'd probably put Utah at, see, I want to say six yeah. because I think there are teams I'd rather play less than them. And there are like, all of the X's and O's I would want the Lakers to do. They're very capable of doing. And, and I think it's not super creative stuff that I've like gotten in trouble with in the past where I'm like, oh, well, the Lakers can play big against Houston and then beat them up here and do this. And then they don't do it. So it doesn't happen. I feel pretty good about the Lakers doing what they need to do in that matchup. So I'll say six. You said seven. Yeah. Six and a half, seven. I, I, I think they certainly if if. The Lakers don't do what I'm hoping they do. This is certainly a team that can be like a 7-8 for me. Like Again, any team who can make 23s in a game or damn near a half like they did the other night, like mm-hmm. those are the teams that I just uh, – and, you know, obviously there's no, you know, 2018 Warriors around that yeah. really does that, or the Rockets for that matter. But teams are still shooting. You know, Utah is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league on volume and quality, it seems like, so – that's mm-hmm. what their game's built around. I think the Lakers have the rotation defense to, you know, help mitigate that. But damn, I mean, if a team goes, you know, 20 for 45 one night from the three, it's like, say goodnight. Like, it's good luck catching them, uh, even yeah. with the great defense. Yeah. And 
they do a good job even against the switching, which is what I would be wanting to do. They're prepared for that. They understand yeah. they don't have a superstar and they have a lot of built-in stuff to beat that in a way that they're going to continue to generate pretty good offense. All, like ball screens and then off ball screens. Like if you're switching their pin downs, the guy who's screening instead of screening the normal defender, he's going to like take a step that way but then go screen his own man. So now the the original defender is just kind of waiting for the screener to walk towards him, but he's not coming, and then the shooter's open. Um, so they're well orchestrated, very coordinated with how they attack switching. If we were playing them next week, most of my prep would be watching film on how they've attacked switching. And I know they have the right counters, but figuring out, like, at what frequency are they making the right decisions? Because we've seen, like, the Lakers post-offense, they have the right counters for extra help. It's a it's a frequency thing. So wh- what else is going on with Utah that either makes them resilient to that kind of switching defense or is a, a really, you know, prime opportunity for the Lakers to take advantage of that? So I think that's the piece that could swing it for me from uh, for like a six to an eight. But I, I like where we are at the six, seven range. Yeah. All right, Tim, let's move on to the Phoenix Suns right now. They're second in the West. Yeah. Tell me why you'd rather play them, Tom. So I'm, su- I'm super scared. I'm well, yeah, exactly. Okay, so Phoenix Suns third and differential plus seven. They're expected to have 39.4 wins. They have 40. Um, looking at the you know kind of fundamentals, seventh in offense, 116.7 per clean the glass. Fifth in defense, 109.7. What I thought was interesting, Tim, is that who do you think, at least as per cleaning the glass, leads them in on-off differential? Like which Dario Sarge. Did you already know that? I knew that because it's a bullshit luck thing that our luck adjustment takes care of. Okay, so what does your luck adjusted have? Because I think not, this is an interesting their their Dario Sarge at center lineup has given a lot of teams trouble. Um, the size, speed, the quickness, he could shoot. He's done well for them there. Where this is the other version of the Lakers can play a four guard lineup with Markeith Morris at center, and I think be able to keep up with this team mm-hmm. but like there's okay chris paul great player sets the table half court offensive mastermind right great from the mid-range good shooter he can get to the rim he can beat you on all three levels and that's what's in this team's data too they're efficient from all three levels on the court they take good shots devin booker great individual scorer he's a guy who can like a donovan mitchell who i think actually booker's a better scorer like individually mm-hmm. book can get to his own spots create his own shot and he can create it for others and they have shooters now of cam johnson um dj crowder like previously mentioned dario saric they have guys Mikhail who, bridges Mikhail bridges yeah great three and d kind of uh, option on the wing to maybe guard LeBron but ultimately this team's small and, and they do have a DeAndre Ayton big you know athletic young center but this team is small to me and and uh in the not so physical I'm not worried about who's guarding LeBron or Anthony Davis at all uh I see those guys being able to get to the rim at will and this switchy defense uh the lakers might be one of the few teams that really don't care about your switchy defense uh and in fact you know salivate at some of the potential switches they can they can come up with yeah they uh so looking at how phoenix does defending specific play types they 
have the fourth best post defense, including pass outs. Again, Utah was 28th. They sent a bunch of extra help from different areas. It's a pain playing them. We've seen what it looks like. Not fun. If the Lakers don't fix their own internal offensive countering tactics stuff, this is a matchup that worries me in that respect because they're certainly going to challenge you. And we've seen Vogel go through this in the past and previous years and then figure it out, but it could cost you a game or so. And, and you don't want to like gift a team a game because uh, they're attacking something you're, you've been weak at all year long. From an isolation defense, from perimeter ISO, they're actually dead last. And Utah is first at defending perimeter isolations. So it's one of those like, all right, well, I, it'll be more of a LeBron attack. Mikel Bridges off the dribble and attack the rim kind of series more so than, uh, all right, we've got our switch. Go get, throw it to AD and just kind of watch him get double teamed series. Uh, so that's interesting. Really good post defense, really bad ISO perimeter defense. Um, second best pick and roll defense, including pass outs right behind Utah. Who's first. These are two very, very good pick and roll teams, but they do it in different ways. We know Utah style, Phoenix is style. There'll be a little bit more varied. You mentioned the switchiness. They'll run some drop. They'll run some catch hedging. They'll, they'll show and recover a little bit. They play to a game plan and that variance, that capability there is tougher to play against because no matter like who the Lakers are throwing out and how we're trying to attack, they could be doing different things in different games. Uh, I bet they switch a bit. I bet they drop and go under ball screens. If we don't force them to switch, I am a little bit more worried about this defense. If they do concede those switches, then I think there will be spots to, you know, pick mismatches and go attack. Um, post up ad from like the high post so we can see the whole floor and then have him be you know rising over guys that can't contest his shots or driving to the rim um but i think i don't i mean the post defense and the pick and roll defense worry me a little bit i I, i'm really i don't want to play phoenix because of those couple reasons i don't believe you i don't believe myself but (laughs) (laughs) do you get the feeling with this like there are teams where it's like yeah i know utah is good because of you know the offensive scheme and go bear i know the clippers are good they got that wing scoring and like there are specific identities of teams phoenix to me and this is as someone who hasn't been watching a bunch of suns games i the 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 success they have doesn't match my you know casual suns fan not suns fan but like i'm not watching a bunch of games like how, how are they doing this what what should i be worried about what does a sun series victory over the lakers look like and i struggle to get there and that's part of it's probably just because i haven't watched a bunch of film but I, I think just in general the perception of a lot of laker fans is this team is fraudulent and they're overperforming <laughs> and maybe we don't need to be worried about them no, I love that. I mean, I did pick this team to I'd rather play. So, all right, let me let me then kind of switch roles and defend them a little bit. The argument is that with Chris Paul led team and he's truly the leader now, like Devin Booker might be the best player in terms of getting his own shot. But Chris Paul is the leader and kind of organizer of that team. Mm-hmm. And in fact, absolutely. If you look at yep. their fundamentals as far as where like how efficient they score from where. So third and effective field goal percentage in the league ninth at the rim first in the short mid third in the long mid first all mid 
third corner three, 16 non-corner, and then nine all three. Those are their accuracy per cleaning the glass out of 30. So all three levels, when they take that shot, they take high-quality shots is what that says to me, Tim. doesn't mm-hmm. matter from what level it is. But if you flip it around and look, okay, so how often do they shoot from each place, right? 29th in frequency at the rim. That's not going to cut it against the Lakers. Yep. And you see them like teams who can exploit the Lakers in their pick and roll, be able to get those creators to the rim a lot. So Devin Booker, great, but he's going to pull up and mm-hmm. they're all their mid. They're seventh in frequency. Yep. Those are the shots. I mean, Chris, Chris, Chris Paul, abs- 90% of his pick and roll shots are like also are pull ups. Like Chris yeah. Paul's not getting to the rim a bunch anymore this is a like you're saying this is a very very much mid-range team and we see that impact their free throw rate which is second lowest yeah. any team as well it's, yeah not good either so all these things if you can limit some of those corner threes fifth and frequency you know that's a lot of function of chris paul when he does get to the rim he's not shooting he's gonna pass out for a corner three mm-hmm. so all those things to me are very fixable and allowing them to take the shots that you're not worried about as much in those mid-range shots. So throw out Drummond to match up with Aiden. Let him rock some drop coverage. Hey, you want to dribble into a mid-range shot every time? Go ahead. But we're not going to give you corner threes. We're not going to let you get to the rim. You know, we're going to f- force you to play into this kind of shot over and over and make Chris Paul and Devin Booker beat you from mid-range. Well... So I'll I'll defend my stance. That's what they want to do. That they, these are like the, the mid range is bad. I'm thing not worried is about it. True for a lot of players, but these guys are good at it. It's what, like it's a good shot for them, right? Is it is it beat you four times out of seven in a playoff game? Good. I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> but and that's where I'm it, like, go ahead, bring your worst. Come on, bring like, let's yeah. go. If we don't let you beat us with those corner threes and free throws and you know what I mean? Like letting you get to the rim. I just don't see the scenario where Devin Booker scores 40 a night and, and, and the Lakers are, you know, in trouble in this in matchup in like any well, any scenario. And I see. So Booker, I, I think what I'm thinking about this team, too, is the lack of identity from from my perspective has to do with some of like their shape-shifting abilities as well they they run Hmm. a bunch of different ball screen coverages defensively they can do a lot of different things and they can go big they go small they they can appear a lot of different ways offensively it's similar where they can mid-range you to death maybe not in a seven game series against the lakers but they have score efficiently at the rim not on high volume but they've got eaten out there as like a dump off roll man post player He's not elite at any of those things, but he's good. They have Sarich and uh, Kaminsky's over there as well as like yeah. pick and pop floor spacer kind of guys. So they can go different ways with their big men. They have a lot of dudes who are kind of finishers, Johnson, Crowder, Bridges. They're, ca- they're stationary shooters in our categorization. They're going to catch and shoot and knock down threes. But Booker's someone that they can use on ball and off ball. He can ISO. He can he can uh, run the pick and roll. He can post up a little bit against smaller players, which f- for us I'm not too worried about other than with like Schroeder, which wouldn't be his matchup. Um, but they can use him f- in off-screen situations as well, kind of in a, a Paul George kind of way where they they have the on ball, but they're, they're 
good off ball players as well. So that's where, you know, throw a Wes Matthews on him. Yeah. We're going to run him off of pin downs and flare screens and, and Wes is going to struggle to turn those corners and they're going to get either threes from that or him turning the corner and attacking the rim from that. So they have a lot of possible ways to attack the Lakers. And in a way where going into this series, you might have your starting game plan, but your finishing game plan by game five, six, seven, whatever it is, there's a good chance it's going to be a little bit different because this is a team I think that can throw a lot of different things at you. Again, it might not be enough to win, but they have options personnel wise, schematically. I think they're coached well. And that is that unknown of that is, is a little bit scary compared to Utah where it's like, all right, well, if you can make them play out of their game, which is this one thing on both ends of the court, you've broken them. That's that's where the the fear of playing Phoenix can manifest, I think, is that shape shifting. But to me, the Lakers have a unique kind of lineup where they can match. They can either you throw out Sarge's backup five, you know, rangy, switchy, sh- shooty. We can throw out Markeith Morris. OK, that's not working. Keith isn't in, isn't working. Throw in Montrez Harrell to beat you in the other way. Vogel didn't want to play. But, but in, and I agree with you. But remember what oh, we yeah. saw you know actions yeah. speak louder than words remember what we saw in yeah. an actual game was Vogel not feeling comfortable with him out there against Arch and playing small and the Suns winning those minutes yeah so that's one of those again where I'm like ah well I think we should be able to do this but Frank clearly doesn't think so so maybe we should maybe I should listen and not be like oh well we can you know do X, Y, and Z if they're not willing to do X, Y, and Z. I believe so that, that too, that was a game without AD for whatever. That was a game without AD. The, That's a good point. One yeah, of the first, I think, since he went mm-hmm. out like for the second time. I think that was the very, yeah, that might've been the very first game after the AD injury. Um, yeah. So that's a good point. Cause I mean, AD is able to go out there and play against Arch just fine. Yeah. I just not as worried. If you got Aiton, we got Gasol, Drummond, AD, right? I feel okay with some of those better. Not as great about Mark. I don't think this is a huge Mark series. I think Harold versus Aiton is the only one like he's going to, he'll beat him on the boards and he'll post up where it's like a average post player versus a poor post defender. That that's mm-hmm. the one where I don't feel great about Mark. I think he'll be fine against Aiton specifically, but make, continue making your point. Why don't you think this could be a Gasol series? Oh, partly, too, because I think of the athleticism gap between him and Aiton. Uh, Aiton does have a mm-hmm. vertical element that can just put put Mark in a blender. So mm-hmm. I might prefer Drummond, you know, and obviously, again, Drummond is going to start when or if uh, the Lakers play the Suns. So Drummond will be matching up with Aiton uh, if this does end up happening. And I'm a lot more comfortable with that than I am against Gobert. But um, because I don't see Aiton as this physical domineering big guy, the way Gobert could be in the boards on defense that you'd like a Gasol against. Drummond can they're about like on the same plane physicality wise. Mm -hmm. And you don't like the the pick and pop floor stretching thing with Gasol or Trezor AD for that matter. That element of their game isn't trying to nullify a strong rim protector presence and, and Aiden can defend the rim well but he's not like yeah. that's a very you know get Rudy Gobert out of his game kind of approach yeah. I'm thinking now so for the five-man rotation would you start well I mean you're gonna you're gonna start you have to start drum, but, but <laughs> right but I'm thinking like do you go after those Sarich or like the other guy they have is Kaminsky, either of those guys. Do you go after those bench minutes with Anthony Davis 
and beat the hell out of them in the post and then go drum and keef for a lot of their eight minutes you're, you'll still start with with ad in the game mm-hmm, of course mm-hmm. but but maybe you know shift the timelines a little bit that's one potential approach um that's intriguing to me that i thought of just right now but yeah i, I think the lakers do have some options and i think this is much more of a drum and series than Utah potentially would be. But I mean, yeah, back to Utah. And this is obviously a thing because these guys are two of the most unguardable players in the NBA. But who's matching up with Anthony Davis? Like, OK, maybe they start Jay Crowder uh, to take on LeBron. We saw how that went in the finals. It's OK. It's better than nothing, but mm-hmm. it's not real. You know, you're not going to put yeah. him on it and expect to stop. Right. Neither of these teams has a defender you feel great going one-on-one in the post against Anthony Davis. Gobert and Aiton might hold their ground a little bit, but I still am comfortable with AD going after them. For everybody else, both teams, either series, it's going to be a bring extra help kind of thing. And that's where Utah hasn't done as much and has been weaker at, and Phoenix does a lot of and is pretty good at. And that's at the, you know, I keep thinking like, all right, well, if the Suns do switch and we do try to attack it, they're just going to send a bunch of extra help and then it turns into that Denver series um, or the the Miami series in the finals where like we're getting mismatches like we're going at Tyler Hill with the LeBron, LeBron James like we're going at uh, Jamal Murray with Anthony Davis but then there's that second defender and and it becomes they don't let you play that one-on-one game so a lot of, with a lot of this playoff X's and O's tactical basketball if you can't go beat someone one-on-one or if it, like that, that forces the defense to play you specific ways. And that's an advantage if you can take advantage of it. And the Lakers being able to do so is going to be a huge piece. And if they lose to either of these teams or any team in the, the playoffs, it's going to be beca- one of the key elements is going to be probably missing threes. And then the other thing is going to be the Lakers post offense gets slowed down because extra help is brought and they're not countering well. Those are, I think, two for sure things that will happen if the Lakers lose a playoff series. And I think Phoenix does some of that that second element a lot more so than utah does the other thing too and this is real um even if it's a you know narrative thought i think they got two guys they got chris paul and jay crowder have ever really been in the playoffs before um Mm -hmm. and it's it, it the game changes the the level of adjustments the intensity is DeAndre Ayton, is Cam Johnson, is Dario Saric going to be able to step up in these moments? And it's a little bit harder to buy than a team even like, uh, I don't know, like Portland. You know, Portland's his vets been in the league a while, even guys down to like Canner. All, all these, you know what I mean? Like, it's just hard to see the first year. Maybe next year, well, already the Suns have outperformed what we thought they would be. So it's hard for me to... For them to outperform what we thought they'd be and expect that they're an established top three team in the West now. Mm-hmm. It's just a hard – it's all too much. There's too a fast. healthy skepticism in, in for a lot of the right reasons. Like we, we watch these teams year after year. This isn't a – you know, we're only looking at 2020, 2021 season. Looking years by – like there are teams that do well in the regular season, doesn't translate to the playoffs. And then why is that? They don't have the superstar player – Utah they they are young and inexperienced new like younger coach like haven't gone through those battles and had to be the head coach making these tactical adjustments or the players haven't gone through that Phoenix kind of has some of those flags and I mean for a lot of them these cases like 
we have this in our head because it's usually what happens, but they're of course outliers and you just don't see them until they happen for a lot of cases. So it's possible that what they're doing is, is very real. And I think there's a lot of merit to their approach, but I think you bring up a good point and that is something that would be at play, especially against a team coming off a title with a coach that's just played all of these chess games against LeBron freaking James and Anthony Davis. Like that Stuff. would be a big element of the series. Stuff. All right, Tim. So getting out of here really quick. First, worryometer on the Suns, or what do you got? So I said six for Utah. Now I feel like I'm too low. Jeez, uh, I think Phoenix for me is also a six. I think Utah has more upside to be a seven, whereas I think Phoenix is more like a solid six to me. I think I'm at like four and a half, five. For really? Phoenix. Yeah. Wow. I just don't. Like, good luck. Chris Paul is going to get pissed off. He's going to yell at somebody after game two. <laughs> they're going to split the they're going to be in Phoenix and go one and one and then like lose game three and game four is pivotal. And they just don't have the dudes to know what it takes to to grind out a game four. And they'll go down like mm-hmm. three one and then they'll like roll over in game five because they don't know what to do. Like that's I'm just I, I think they're good. I think they're going to be good. But I don't know, man. Chris Paul and Devin Booker playoffs. I don't know if it uh, it adds up the way it may, might in uh, in the regular season scenario. So I'm yeah, a little bit lower. They, they've got their one hand. They're climbing up that mountain and they've got one hand over like the top of Contender Mountain. But they haven't been able to pull the rest of their body yeah. up yet. Like they got the grip. Yeah. They're having a great year. They've got a lot of the right pieces. It just might take a little bit more next year to, to finally make that full leap as a team. All right, Tim. So before we get out of here, we had a question from our discord. I'm going to try and sum it up. Basically Dennis Schroeder versus Taylor Horton Tucker. How confident are you one to 10 that Taylor Horton Tucker will become a better player than Dennis Schroeder? I'm very confident. I think especially because they both play the same role offensively. They're both, they're both slashers. It's more of an apples to apples thing. You could say, all right, who's the better playmaker? And right now, 20-year-old THT is doing things that 20-year-old Dennis Schroeder was nowhere close to doing. And like not many other players were. Like THT, 86th percentile playmaking talent grade this year. 92nd percentile versatility is better than Schroeder's career high. Like he's seeing – THT seeing the floor better as a 20-year-old and spraying passes all over the place than Schroeder ever has. And, and better than any 20-year-old in our database other than LaMelo Ball, John Morant, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, uh, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, De- De- uh, Devin Booker a second time. Uh, I guess he did it two years. And then Kevin Porter Jr. So that's some good company on the same level as SGA, Darren Fox. Um, when we look at the quality, the, the something that we've talked about with Schroeder is he's had low efficiency and low quality this year. THT's been a little bit better um he's had higher efficiency he's at 86th percentile quality he's getting good looks for players he's not just passing because he has to passing because the shot clock's low passing does because he doesn't have a look he's drawing that defense in with a strong finishing and then finding dudes at a rate that is comparable to trey young luka Doncic, john morant kevin porter jr lamella ball sga uh darius garland's on here devin booker again um no it's only the first time for him uh kobe white interesting and lonzo ball so, I mean, with both of those lists, in terms of seeing the floor well, getting high-quality looks, that's really good company. And it's better than most Truder years. So I'd say certainly from a playmaking standpoint, THT's in a great spot, super young. 
ceiling has to be way higher than what Schroeder has shown us so far. Um, Schroeder at THT's age had A minus volume, C plus quality, D plus versatility, F efficiency, F scoring gravity. THT's better than all of those uh, right now, except for the volume. So I think he's see that's he's, that's not something you can just put away. And I agree with you, by the way. I do think THT is on the path, but I have to say. Growth does not mean more equals same output, right? So mm-hmm. when THT were to get that that volume, sometimes you learn from the mistakes that you make, and he's makes a lot of them driving into multiple guys where there's no lane, you know, making kind of an overambitious pass that isn't even really the right idea, to be honest. But he's doing it less, so he has less opportunity to, you know, make those loud mess ups and if he gets more opportunity we don't know now yet if he is going to keep the same output so that's yes. something that is hard for young players for any player as you get more volume i just have to say that volume isn't nothing no that's an excellent point and it helps that tht isn't starting from like nothing like he's he's thrown into the fire like he's getting a good bit of it right now but you're right like it's, it's just like shots if you're gonna go from five shots to ten shots you're usually not just going to be like, it's not just like suddenly you get more catch and shoot corner threes. Like you need to start creating things. It gets more difficult. So scaling up comes at an expense of like efficiency generally from a scoring standpoint. And I think it's similar for playmaking. He's had slightly easier looks than, than he potentially could if he were like some sort of lead uh, ball handler with those sorts of things. So that's one element of this. I think defensively is another thing you look at. And I'd say that I believe, um, THT has top 15 guard wing ceiling for defense potentially. And it might not happen. It might not be realized, but it is hard to be a dude with like those kinds of that wingspan. What he's able to do in terms of being a playmaker defensively and disrupting players on ball isn't something you teach. It's not something that your arms don't grow four inches once you hit the NBA at 23 years old or 22 or whatever. He's coming in with that physical skill set. And his weakness is actually similar to the weakness that Schroeder has, which is the off-ball stuff. And I think that's, one, encouraging because it's more fixable, but two, a, a note of caution because a guy like Schroeder has been weak at that his whole career. Yeah. It wasn't – he didn't come into the league weak at it and then, you know, linear growth and got better. It, sometimes it doesn't happen. So if that's the case, THT – He's actually right now he's already an above average defender from an impact standpoint. Maybe that's where he stays. But if that piece is fixed and that piece is much easier to fix than some of the God given talent that THT has from a physical standpoint and an instinct standpoint, that ceiling is certainly there. Whereas Dennis Schroeder for as much as he looks good on ball, he's so weak off ball that his, you know, for his career, he's always been about an average defender. I think if you were to compare both players, best skill set, I guess, best ability, right? Dennis is like first step quickness, uh, mm-hmm. acceleration burst, and versus THT's just kind of ability to to self create and finish around the rim and unique angles and um, unexpected places where the defender just doesn't think they need to be, right? I mm-hmm. think THT is already better at at his best attribute than Dennis is. And, you know, THT will take a step back three every once in a while that will look so 
fucking smooth that you just like you, your brain explodes with the possibilities and then yeah. he'll miss one a foot to the left and like six inches short that's so bad you wonder how this guy's a professional basketball player sometimes so his shot you know and it's not like Schroeder is a, a dead die assassin or anything, but he's this like middling, like sl maybe slightly average, below average player. And THT isn't even that yet in the yeah, shooting. So, it, and THT doesn't even have like the mid range shooting down right now. Yeah. Like like Schroeder, the three is questionable, and he's kind of like a two and a half level scorer. Yeah. THT right now is like a one and a half level scorer. Like he's really yeah. good getting at the rim. And I agree with you that I think that skill for him getting to the rim and finishing at the rim in both areas, he at 20 edges out Schroeder now and Schroeder at his peak. And and for the role they do, that is such a key skill set. And I mean, I've pulled up the data. THC's 12th this year in finishing talent, 6th at getting to the rim, 102nd at finishing to the rim, but that's with like one hand. Um, <laughs> and so there's A, A minus A grades. Schroeder at 20 was a B getting to the rim, D finishing at rim, C overall finishing. So like super great head start currently, you know, young THG versus current Schroeder who's like in his prime years still edging him out. And the only players that have uh, beaten – there's only one player in the database at 20 years old or younger that had a better getting to rim rating than THT and that was Dennis Smith Jr. What? Which I think is an interesting one. But his finishing I thought it was, was like Zion or something. No. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, among guards. I'm, I'm, I'm on guards. Oh, among right, guards. Right, right, my right, bad. Right. My bad. No, you're among all guards. good. In terms of finishing at the rim, so so second among everybody in terms of getting there for his age, for guards. In terms of finishing there, only Giannis, who I mean, how you categorize him is it can differ. Uh, Levine, Tyrese Maxey, who's had an impressive year in that one specific way this year, and some others, um, and then Kobe Simmons, another interesting name. Those are the only guys that, from a finishing at the rim standpoint match up better with THT but just overall talent like THT is like way way up there he's got both of those ends nobody else is matching him in both of those areas so like he's creating his own like it's like him and John Morant as like your best young finishing guards coming into the league at the age that they're at so super super great uh start for him in terms of just like starting really really good at something not compared to dudes his age but compared to everybody all right, man. Well, I think that's a good place to park it for now. Uh, let's uh, come back this week. We haven't talked much about the AD's return on the imminent. We mentioned it briefly. He's out uh, this next game against Utah. But I think it'd be fun if we could get on the horn and just talk about how the team could look uh, with Anthony Davis for a few games uh, back, at least as a Lakers number one. And, you know, see if we can find stuff to expect, maybe come up with some plays or uh, set schemes that could fit around him and Andre Drummond, yeah. which will be good Drummond. to see for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the next big question. In, in, once AD's back, how does, what does Drummond look like? What is his yeah. role? How does he play? What are the sets? What are the actions? What does he do? <laughs> and I think the, the range of outcomes is somewhat wide. So how the team approaches it will be really interesting. And we'll break that down. But we can try to get out in front of it and say, you know, here's what it might look like if we were running the show, which we're not. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's going to give you some things to look out for. That'll be interesting. That's The season's been interesting the whole time, even with the dudes coming down, being down and Tom's making faces at me. There's been interesting stuff to watch. It certainly hasn't been compelling you know, top level Laker basketball, but, uh, you know, the season's a journey for a reason. I can't argue with that, but go, uh, 
go give us a subscription on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find pods, rate us, review us, and, uh, you know, hit up, hit us up with that five-star rating and, uh, we'll give you the discord link so you can put some uh, questions in. We can try and get to one, uh, at the end of each show now. Yeah, absolutely. Let's try to do one a show, um, get some more people in that dialogue. We were talking the, uh, like soccer, what's it? The super league. <laughs> That's what we were talking about yesterday, but it's usually basketball talk. Um, but you know, we'll chop it up about all sorts of things. So yeah, what, when is get, the get NBA going to make a super league with the Lakers and, um, I guess they'd need more and teams. The Knicks. If you were doing the basketball version of it, it would be like the Lakers, the Knicks, the Celtics, like the teams that the premier league picked aren't like their best team haven't been their best consistent teams recently it's like it's the brands they go for the brands it's the brands exactly it's the best it ain't got nothing to do with it my friend Mm -hmm. the richest is the best in the super league but uh yeah let's leave it there for now we're already at uh, quite a long pod but we'll come back this week and uh dive deeper into uh this ad team yeah and once ad gets back maybe we'll do some some twitch streams some uh in-game stuff get back to that pull the digital whiteboard out um i'm down Yeah, sweet. Let's do it. So then we'll talk to you guys next time.